that. Dudley's lodgings had been moved next to the Queen's, and there was talk amongst the ambassadors that they were never out of each other's company. Aged twenty-eight, Dudley was nearly six feet tall and had a strong, athletic build. His striking dark features earned him the nickname The Gypsy and made him an instant attraction at court. The Venetian ambassador described him as a very handsome young man, Giovanni Bellissimo, while Elizabeth's first biographer, William Camden, opined that he was a man of flourishing age and comely feature of body and limbs. Elizabeth, who always took personage in the way of affection, was privately smitten. Later, she would admit that she was no angel and did not deny she had some affection for Lord Robert for the many good qualities he possessed. The pair's growing closeness scandalized the court, for Robert Dudley was a married man. But there was little sign of his wife at court. With no permanent residence to call her own, his wife, Amy, stayed with family friends while her husband remained constantly at the Queen's side. It was hardly a satisfactory arrangement, but not an unusual one for the age. Nevertheless, the fact that a married man should be seen to court the Queen, winning Elizabeth's undivided attention and the lavish grants that came with it, and at the same time distracting her from the important business of finding her own husband and producing a treasured heir, was enough to earn Dudley the hatred of the nobility. One ambassador even remarked that, It is a marvel that he has not been slain long ere this, for whenever they behold him they wish he might be hanged. There had been talk of an assassination attempt against him, and the greatest peer of the realm, the Duke of Norfolk, had personally reproached Dudley over his dalliances with Elizabeth, warning him that he would not die in his bed if he continued in his ways. Dudley paid little attention. That summer, After entertaining the Queen to a banquet at his lodgings in Kew at the beginning of her progress, he was by her side whenever she returned from the hunt. On Elizabeth's birthday, the 7th of September, he boasted to the Earl of Sussex how she had become a great huntress, and doth follow it daily from morning till night. The horses she rode she spareth not to tire as fast as they can go. Cecil had grown weary of their games. Little more than a week earlier, he wrote in despair to his friend and confidant, Sir Nicholas Throckmorton, the English ambassador in Paris, I dare not write that I might speak. God send Her Majesty understanding what shall be her surety. And so full of melancholy, I wish you were free from it. God send me hence with words to pray and sue for Her Majesty with all the power of mind and body. I beseech you, either return my letter or keep it safe for me, for letters may be misinterpreted, and I do not mean to so deserve. In the corridors of Windsor Castle, in early September, Cecil managed to snatch a brief conversation with the Spanish ambassador, Don Alvaro de la Cadra, Bishop of Aquila, who had recently rejoined the court, as, unable to meet the exorbitant costs of the journey, he had been absent from its travels for over a month. 
Dalakadra sensed quickly that something was not right. Unable to conduct his duties without Elizabeth's attention, Cecil told the Spanish ambassador of how he had begun to consider retirement, telling him, It was a bad sailor who, on seeing a great storm coming, did not seek a harbour while he could. There was little else that could be done. Cecil felt Dudley's influence to be so widespread that he had made himself lord of all affairs and of the Queen's person to the extreme injury of all the kingdom, and he was sure that Dudley intended to marry the Queen. As for himself, he rarely saw her, for Dudley had led her to spend all day hunting with much danger to her life and health. Once more, he repeated his desire to retire to his private house, though, he joked, the tower seemed a more likely option. For the love of God...